Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. Today we are starting our new Christmas series uh, called The Coming King. So let's pray and we'll jump into it. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your presence. I thank you that when life around us can seem difficult or gloomy or overwhelming, that your light penetrates that darkness and we're never left alone in that. And I pray now that as we dive into your word this morning and we look at the story of your uh, coming King, Lord, I pray that you would... uh, Enter into our hearts, open up our minds, Holy Spirit, that you would mold us and shape us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the beginning, God created. It's what he did. It's who he was. He created. He he took what was there, what was formless and void, what was chaotic, and he created this cosmic temple out of it. He created everything we see, some things we don't. In the beginning, God created. He created this cosmic temple. He created these two icons, two image bearers. We know them as Adam and Eve. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve with one simple task, to govern this world on God's behalf. But they had a better idea. They had a better plan. They decided to seize that power, to lay claim to the rule of God. They chose to listen to the serpent and themselves, thus dismissing the rule of God and in turn rooting their chance to govern God's good earth as co-rulers with him. In one dark moment, those icons chose self over all else. And instead of ruling with God, they wanted to rule as God. And the result, we know all too well. Banished from this cosmic temple, God sent them from the garden into the world as we know it, this fallen world that we live in today. God, though, would find another way to rule with his icons. He would find a way for his icons to co-govern this world with him. In fact, he would do it over and over again. But unfortunately, the story remained the same. Descendant after descendant chose the seizing of power over co-ruling with 
God, the tyranny, the unrighteous overthrowing of God's good and holy design became the name of the game. And, it's, and none of us are innocent from this same seizing of power. No matter what circumstances we have faced in this life, I, and I know some of us in here have and are facing incredible difficulties. And even though that is true, the reality is we cannot play victim. We have been given opportunity after opportunity to rule with God just as those original icons, but instead we choose self. What a way to start off a Christmas series, right? (laughs) But the truth is we serve a gracious and merciful God. And just as he gave Adam and Eve another opportunity post-garden to fulfill this command, he has given all of their descendants the same opportunity. Opportunity after opportunity, he has given them the chance to surrender the reins and to follow him. We see this throughout the whole story of the Old Testament. We see it after the Tower of Babel, when God chooses Abraham and Sarah to give birth to Isaac and thus give birth to God's chosen people, Israel. See, God made a covenant with them, and this covenant was a means, it was supposed to be eternal and redemptive for all time. God promised to be with Israel and for Israel. And this was a a transferring of that same governing assignment that was given to Adam and Eve, those original icons. Now God had a whole people that were considered his icons that he was transferring that same governing assignment to them from Adam and Eve to Abraham and Israel. But just as Adam and Eve, the original icons, were meant to rule with God on God's behalf, now Abraham and Israel were called to bless the nations And when we think about the Christmas story, we think about the Christmas story and we go to the Gospels, right? The Christmas story is about the birth of Jesus. So most of the time we go to the Gospels and we we tend to go to Matthew and Luke because they actually give us some details around the birth of Jesus. But it's interesting, if you go to Luke, Luke doesn't open up his Gospel about Jesus. He doesn't open it up with Jesus, All the other gospels open up with Jesus, right? Matthew has the genealogy of Jesus telling the the whole story. Mark opens up with the baptism of Jesus. John opens up with that that famous prologue, in the beginning was God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All the gospels other than Luke open up with Jesus. Today, I wanna look at Luke chapter one where he doesn't open up with Jesus. Instead, he opens up with this story of what seems like a random husband and wife, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Why would he open up with with this couple? It's a link back to the story of Israel, the one that we just unfolded briefly. It, it wants us to t- it wants to take the reader, both the original audience and us today. It wants us to take us back to the story of Israel to point to the fact that Jesus is not just some other random religious figure, but he is connected. He is a connected continuation of Israel's story. 
For us to understand the true meaning of Christmas and what the way of Jesus coming meant, we have to understand the whole story of Israel. So Luke opens up with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we know their story. In Luke 1.7 it says, But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. We see this couple who is beyond childbearing years, but yet have been given this promise from an angel that they would bear children. Now, as readers, our ears should perk up. We should think, oh, this sounds familiar. Where have I heard this story before? This is Luke linking through parallel back to Abraham and Sarah, both well beyond childbearing years, both longing for children, both longing for a promise that had been given to them by God the Father. Yet they had not received that promise. Luke, before we get to Jesus, is telling us to go back and grasp the story of Israel. He wants us to have in hand this whole story to understand what leads to the miraculous birth that we celebrate each year. I mean, have you ever imagined what this coming king meant for those in the time? Have you ever thought about what it meant for Israel, for the king to finally arrive? Have you ever thought what it would be like to be the wise men or the magi as they hear the promise that their king, their savior, the one that is bringing them victory is finally here? Have you ever thought what it meant to be the shepherds, to see the star and this promise of the one that is coming to free them from oppression has finally got here. Every year we celebrate hope, peace, joy, and love, those those famous words that we hear throughout the Advent season. We celebrate how the King Jesus has arrived. We celebrate the initiation of the rescue plan. And this year is no different. But when we walk into this point that Luke is presenting, I believe it can add a new depth to our celebration. Luke wanted us to know how Adam and Eve seized that power. How God made a covenant with Abraham to transfer the command of Adam and Eve to his people. But Luke also wanted us to know how those people did the same thing, seizing that power, overthrowing the rule of God. So God again made a covenant, this time through his servant Moses. And we have a people who not only now are ruled by God, but they're giving a law. They're given a law with instruction that tells them how they actually live with a cult by co-ruling with God. But surprise, surprise, these people, once again, the descendants do what the descendants have always done. They seize power. They do life on their own, neglecting the grace and mercy and the, off, and the opportunity to rule with God. Eventually, they get to a place where they demand a king. They look around them, and they see all the other people groups around them have are ruled by a king, and they begin to feel left out. They don't want to be just ruled by a god. They want their own monarchy. They want their own king to rule over them, and God is reluctant. He says, no, you don't want this. This is not going to be what you think it is. You can have a good king, and it'd be great, but as soon as you get a bad king, your life will be in ruin. And God, he advises against it, yet the people don't care about God's opinion. And they are persistent. So God 
and reasons beyond my understanding yields to them and gives them a king. And in this king, King David, you know the story. Once again, God makes another covenant. Again and again, God in his mercy has attempted to rule with his people. And again and again, his people have refused God. They choose self and seize the power for themselves. So when we read this story, and we see not just the Old Testament, but in all of history, when we take a step back and we look at how humanity has ruled without God as their co-ruler, without God being their allegiant king, we see that humanity always drives itself into death and destruction. We see other icons, other humans, image bearers who are oppressed. We see justice withheld and we see death and destruction reign. When people lead on their own without surrendering to God, we see other image bearers destroyed. And we look at the Old Testament and we look at history and we're left with this weird taste in our mouth. Will the glory that we're told about ever come to be. We're left to wonder, is there really any hope? Will peace and joy and freedom ever win out? Will there be a time when the heartache and suffering and brokenness aren't the defining traits of human existence? Is there any hope? Will there be a time, will there be a ruler that we've read about in the prophets that, that, that will actually do what he's supposed to do? Will there be a human image of God that will live as God has commanded? Will there be someone to step up and do this thing that we know is supposed to be done? And Luke says, I'm glad you asked. Because when I talk about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and I get you to go back and picture that whole Israel's story, and you're left asking that question, will there be someone to step up? That means you have grasped the understanding that we need to get the rest of the story. Jesus is not a standalone event, but a continued story, a continuation of Israel's story. So we go back to Zechariah and Elizabeth. They finally had this son that had been promised to them, and his name is John. And he is the fulfillment of promises given in the Old Testament. Promises that said there will one day be someone to step up and fill this role. There would one day be a human in the God's image that steps up and lives the sinless life and leads and rules like he is supposed to do. And before that king arrives, before that king comes, there will be a prophet that goes before him that prepares the way. A prophet that goes out to the people and says, the king is coming, prepare your hearts. John is this prophet. He is the one declaring that the king of Israel has arrived. The king of Israel who would liberate them from the tyranny of unjust government. The king who would go before them, he's there. The king is going to set them free from oppression, bring them out of the darkness, which is all they've known for decades. John is this man sent to cry out to Israel, the king is coming. Mark 1.7 says, he proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I is coming after me, and I am not worthy to stoop down 
and untie the straps of his sandals. The king is coming. Is there hope? Luke answers with a resounding yes. Hope is here and hope has a name and that name is Jesus. Jesus is coming. He starts out with this man who Isaiah says is a voice crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make your path straight. The story of humanity on its own is a hopeless one. But there is a coming king, a coming king who will not usurp that power. He will not seize that power that doesn't necessarily belong to him. He will not operate outside of the will of the Father. Unlike the first humans, he will resist the schemes of the accuser. Unlike the first humans, he will not bow. He will not test God. He will not depend on his own strength. We see the temptations come in Matthew 4. And unlike the descendants, who will not, he will not cause oppression, destruction, and death. In fact, he will show a better way to live. He will show a truer way to be human. He will allow himself to be seized by those who continue to seize power. He will let them take his life in an act of complete surrender to the Father. This king will die. But even in death, we are not without hope. Because this king, though he dies, he will raise to life and he will end the dominion of death. For a humanity that has been defined by the seizing of power that was not theirs, now we have the opportunity to enter into a new lineage, not defined by the power-grabbing history that we know of the descendants, but instead defined by the power of a surrendering Savior. And the irony of all this is that when we actually surrender and follow this King Jesus that we're going to come to discuss throughout this series, when we surrender and follow him, we actually gain power to the Holy Spirit, to the power of God himself. John, when proclaiming that the King is coming, he says, I baptize with water, but the one that comes after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will give us the ability to live this life, not usurping sin, seizing power that's not ours, but by surrendering and living by the power of the Holy Spirit, no longer giving power to sin, but giving power to the Almighty. We are given the opportunity once again to co-govern this world. See, when Jesus died on the cross, his blood, we're told, is the blood of a new covenant. And when we surrender our lives to King Jesus, we enter into this new covenant. Just like the covenants with Adam and Eve, with Abraham, with Moses and David, as these new covenants were a chance for the icons of Christ, the icons of God, to live under his design as co-rulers. When we surrender and follow Jesus, we enter into a new covenant. It's a transfer of that original design to co-rule with our creator God. The coming king gave all of himself so that when we follow him, our lives are no longer have to be ruled by sin. 
The seizing of power that has ruined so many lives is broken, those chains destroyed, and now we have true life in Christ. So when you look around your life and you see areas where you see that it seems like you can't win, where temptation continues to beat you down, when you look at areas in your life where it seems like sin has destroyed the things around you and you just feel like it has such power over you, we can know that by surrendering to Christ and being and the Spirit being alive in us, that sin that controls us only has power because we surrender the power to that sin. We take power given to us, we seize control, and instead of surrendering it to the Savior, we surrender it to sin. We have power over sin when we surrender our life to the risen king. This means that sin doesn't have to rule your life. When you look around and you see turmoil and destruction caused by sin, you, know, you can know that sin does not reign. Because John proclaimed in the wilderness that a king is coming, and we get to read the whole story. We know that the king not only was coming, but arrived. And he arrived in a humble, meek way, and he went to the cross, and he died a horrific death. But when he didn't stay dead, and he rose from that grave, giving us victory in him. He paid the price for our sins. But not only are we forgiven, we are now empowered. We have the ability to change. Jesus takes the power back, and in him we have victory. So you can change, and so can your neighbor, because the coming king is here, and he brings hope. We'll get deeper into this as the series goes along. But for today, what I want you to hear is that you don't have to trust in your own abilities Trust in Jesus and in the power of his spirit, you can live a victorious life by following the king because the king is here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,